Good evening and welcome to Pastor's Class as we are in the second week of a new series walking through First uh, and Second Thessalonians as we'll be in uh, First, First Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 10. We have a handout available you can access electronically there as well as I just encourage you to grab your Bible, open it up, First Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll be walking through those a uh, few verses tonight. And so as we walk through this, I wanted to, to mention to you that we do have a recommended resource. Uh, we've been doing these on Wednesday nights off and on over the years. Uh, it's a Christ-centered exposition commentary. Uh, it's on uh, the book of First and Second Thessalonians. It's very readable. You can pick it up. Uh, in many ways, we'll, the outlines that we'll be using will come from this book. And so some of the content, you'll see some overlap while there will be some things uh, that differ as well. So be sure to pick that book up, First and Second Thessalonians, Christ-Centered Exposition, Exposition Commentary, and uh, take that as we go through the journey. You can read along with us throughout the book. But before we jump in too far tonight, I do want to mention uh, the handout there. You can be walking through with you. You can see our bullet points. It'll have the scriptures with you. And so if you want to take notes or just to follow along, you can do that through the handout. Now, just as far as a theme idea, the big idea in this Bible study tonight is that we're living for today, but longing for tomorrow. This is how the gospel gives us this. In, in, in particular with 1 Thessalonians, there's this real view of the return of Christ and this great hope we have in him. We'll see glimmers of that tonight, but more as the weeks go on, we'll see it more and more, how much this book looks towards the return of Christ and how much we have to look forward to as Christians. So as we walk through it, if you got your Bibles there, just open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'd like to read a few verses to you, beginning in verse 2. I'll read it to us tonight. It says, We give thanks to God for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake and became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia and for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let me pray for us before we jump in and study this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this great hope we have in Christ. And Lord, may our faith be so marked that others can see it and even talk about the difference that you have made in our lives. Lord, use us for your glory in this world, particularly during this time. Use us for your glory. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. When a person comes to faith in Christ, it, it changes everything about who they are. And, and it has a marked, noticeable effect. 
So the main idea, if you have your hand out there with you tonight, that, that carries throughout this text is that the gospel will affect every area of our lives, including our passion for living today and also our hope for what is coming tomorrow. It, it works in a way in which people can observe the changes that are happening in our personal life. It's, it's the example of whenever something major major changes in our world or anything that happens, oftentimes it results in news. You just think about all the announcements that have come over the past few weeks. Every time you turn around when there's a new restriction or a new change, there's a press conference and people make a big deal about announcing change. Now, you don't typically have a press conference when everything stays the same as it was yesterday. You know that things that stay the same don't need to be talked about, but changes do. They need to be communicated to people. And when you see in the life of a believer when radical change happens, when a person comes to faith in Christ, it's noticed. People begin to see the alteration in your life from the life that you were living. And so this passage here in 1 Thessalonians 1, it shows us how when Christians are radically changed, people hear about it. It's talked about. It's noticed throughout. Even here, it'll go beyond where they're living to those that are around them. And throughout the Christian world, to be heard They'll hear about the faith of the Thessalonians. So if you have your notes there, the first kind of category, we have three kind of major ways It's that you're looking at the church at Thessalonica. It's the, the, a genuine church that we're looking at tonight. One is a genuine faith in Christ, and you have a dynamic church, and then you have a, a contagious church, one that, that carries over and affects those it's around. So the first way we want to look at tonight is a genuine church, a church that has genuine faith in Christ. So the first point I want to give you under that is genuine conversion changes our reputation. It changes how people see us. Look at verse 4 with me tonight. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. So a couple pieces there. First, the fact that through the love of God, He chooses us. This is part of when anytime we talk about God choosing people, it's done because he loves them. And so God has initiated your salvation. He has chosen you. And so we know that our radical life change doesn't come from something welled up inside of me. This radical change that happens for everybody to see comes because God loved me first and then he chose me. He's doing a work inside of me that other people might then notice. So through the love of God, we are then chosen. And notice the first phrase, Paul's saying that he knows that they're chosen people. He knows it. He's making a judgment based upon what he's seen in their life and their faith that he's able to see they are truly God's children. Now, oftentimes you hear people say this, like, let's say, you can't judge anybody in their faith. You, there's no way you can make any statement about whether a person's a Christian or not. You need, you need to withhold any sort of statement. You've got to leave them to be where they're at. But for some reason, Paul, the Apostle Paul here feels enough confidence in viewing the fruit of their life and their reputation, what he sees as a result of, he, knew that he knows the gospel was preached to them, and he knows that he's seen this marked move in their life. And he said, I'm able to put that together. And Paul says, I believe you're chosen. I believe that you are a Christian. 
This is something that we can do as other believers. We can look and say, has this person heard the true gospel preached to them? Has this person uh, shown a marked change in their life since they've come to faith in Christ? Is, do we see a reputation, this change of the Holy Spirit come in? And we'll talk more about that as we go. But you might be able to say, because I see all of the fruit of your life, I believe you're a Christian. You, you can say that to somebody. You, you might even be able to say to a person, you know, I look at your life and what your understanding of the gospel is and how you live, and you might be able to say, I don't, I don't know if you're a Christian. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling somebody you're not sure where they stand for. They might be a Christian, they might not. You just can't see the fruit. I'll even press it to the other side. For some people you look at in your life, you say, they don't live like a Christian, they don't go to church. And you say, man, I, you can't judge a person's heart. Now that's exactly right. I can't say the phrase, I know you're a Christian, I know you're not a Christian. I, I am not God defining this. But here's what I can say is, you know what, I look at your life and there's nothing I see in your life that looks like a Christian. And, and from my perspective, I don't see that. I think that's one of the ways in which we can, people that claim to be Christians and yet live nothing like it, we need to be able to be bold enough to call them to the truth. Be able to say, you, I'm looking at your life and I see it doesn't match. And so here Paul is able to make a judgment when he looks at their Christian faith. So there is a level as Christians we're actually able to speak into it and say, I know because of what I see in your life that I believe you are a Christian. So this is the first thing, the, the reputation. Here's the second one. Genuine conversion changes our direction. Genuine conversion changes our direction. I want to draw out three words here that show a radical shift in direction. Coming to faith in Christ is not just a, a slight degree of change of the direction you live. It is a full radical 180 of the living that you've done with the world. Look at it there with me in verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you not only in words. See, just even for that phrase, that's how he knows they're chosen. He says, look, I know you had the gospel. We brought it. But he said, but also look what happened. He said, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Those three words there. Notice what it says. In power, meaning that there was something divine and strong. He noticed that when it came, it had an impact when it when it came to their lives. When, when the gospel came, it wasn't just, oh, that's some good advice. I think I'm going to pick my life up a little bit different. And that sounds good. I'm now a Christian. No, no, no. This was a radical, powerful change. So the gospel came in power. Notice the second phrase. He knows it came with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to reveal the Son, Jesus Christ. So whenever you're sharing the gospel, whenever somebody's coming to faith in Christ, you need the Spirit to reveal the Son. So oftentimes you ought to be praying as you're seeing somebody come to faith in Christ, Lord, show the Son through the Spirit. You're asking the Spirit, in a sense, God to use the Spirit to reveal the Son. Because the Trinity is at work in your salvation. So there's the spirit at work in coming to their salvation. The last word one is full conviction, meaning that they saw their sin. They then needed to turn from their sin and turn to Christ. How, how do you get to repentance from sin if you're not convicted of your sin? You're not able to see that where you stand is in sin. You need to now make a full turn. So think about the radical conversion we're talking about here in full power, this divine power with the Holy Spirit at work and with full conviction of sin. That's how he's able to look and say, I know you're, 
I, I know you're a follower of Christ. I know you're chosen one because he's able to see the marks of God at work in their life. And this full conviction, the work of the Holy Spirit, this is a radical change that is affecting all of how they live. Every part of their day-to-day -day is impacted by the gospel of Christ. And so, compared to the world, when you come to faith in Christ, you shouldn't continue to live like the world. It should be a radical change. So for you, Christian, today, are you a person who looks like they're going along with the world? Or are there these markers that you have radically shifted from how the world lives? Do you, do you even, Christian, do you find yourself right now drifting back into maybe some ways in which the world lives? Because the Christian life is one in which you radically live completely different in full conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. This divine change has happened in you so that you follow Christ. It's a marker of who you are. Here's the third one. Genuine conversion changes our affections. It, it changes what we care most about about. Meaning that it changes what we worship, what we idolize. Oftentimes you hear the term idolatry in the Bible when the Bible's speaking about an idol. And most times when I think of an idol, I think of some sort of wood-carved, gold-inlaid statue that would be placed in some temple in the middle of some ancient town. And you would go, and this would be you worshiping this physical idol. But our hearts are idol factories, as it's been said. And so if our hearts are generally always producing idols, we're not producing these physical idols. There are ways in which our hearts are attaching to all kinds of other things. Let me give you a quote that comes from the book, actually uh, from Tim Keller. Here's what he says about idols. He says, an idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. Meaning your life is completely expended on idols. So what does a Christian do with an idol? Look at verse 9 with me. For they themselves report concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you and how you, this is describing the church at Thessal Thessalonica, how you turn to God from idols and then to serve. So at the heart of that point, I just made it about idols, is that you have turned away from these idolatrous uh, things in the world that you have worshipped and set your life to before and devoted yourself completely to, and now you're turning to God. So here's the three steps they're found even in this little verse. Again, these, these are tucked away. We had the before this full power, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, work of God, full conviction kind of thing. Now, these other components that are a part of it, notice what they are, is that you turn away from idols. So you're going to turn from all those things that you once invested your life in that's worldly away from those things. And then notice the description. You're actually turning to God. Notice what the Bible said there. You turn to God from idols. Just turning away from bad worldly things, anybody can do. You don't have to be a Christian to try to do some of that. 
You'll hear all kinds of people out in the culture and world and other religions, people that are atheists, will say, I turned from something that I worshipped and I turned to something else. That's not being a Christian. Just giving up a bad thing is not being a Christian. Most times what's happening there is just idle switch. I'll take this one and trade it out for this one. But for a Christian, what you're doing is you're worshiping God instead of the idol. So when we talk about repentance, it is turning from idolatry to worshiping God himself. So that's the step. So you turn from an idol, step one. You turn to God. That's step two. He's changing you. Then, only after that has happened, you then serve him with your life. Notice the last part of the phrase. You turn to God from idols to serve. So, turning from idols, repentance, to God, faith, placing your faith in him. And then from that, you're able to serve and do ministry and live out the Christian life. This is how we break free of idols, is by turning to Christ. So, you should... Always be pursuing Christ as you turn from the world. Even after you become a Christian, this pattern is no different. It's not like I come to faith in Christ, and from that point on, uh, at that point I know that I'm saved by faith alone and I don't do anything for my faith. And then now as I try to pursue holiness in my life, all of a sudden, I don't, I don't need Christ anymore. That's not true. I need Christ to help me in my pursuit of holiness. He is there to help turn my heart and my affections. And so from the whole way through, we know we're always turning from idols, but turning to Christ himself as we have our affections changed. Here's another one here for you, the fourth one. Genuine conver conversion changes our reflection, meaning changes what we think on or meditate on or what we think about. This book, as I mentioned earlier, talks quite a bit about the return of Christ and how Christians should be thinking about that, whether it says they face death or they face death of a loved one, whatever it might be. This is the return of Christ as it regards to how Christians should meditate on it. Look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So when you're genuinely converted, you then begin a process of waiting for Christ. You are waiting on him to come. That, that is your great hope down the road. Think about it as a Christian. You are called to wait on Jesus. So you should spend your life waiting on him. Waiting on what is to come. So what is that? What does it mean to wait on Jesus? I can tell you what one thing waiting means. It doesn't mean forgetting about the fact Christ is coming back. It doesn't mean never meditating on it. It doesn't mean that that's a rare thought that grows through your brain. What it does mean is it ought to be in perspective for your life that helps anchor you when things get crazy. So oftentimes I think right now as we look on our world and so much panic and stuff is happening as the world faces so many different deaths. And I don't want to make light of that at all. However, as Christians... We face death differently than everybody else. It's, it's not something we're afraid of anymore. And so while be it we will mourn death and there will be difficulties that come with it, we face it as people with hope. And so we wait for the return of Christ. And so that keeps us in perspective. And so it ought to anchor us. And so when the world is in confusion and in panic, 
even in the midst of sorrow and pain, we are people of joy and peace because we wait for the return of Christ. It changes what we reflect on, what we think on. So that's all part of the genuine uh, conversion. What happens as a Christian? Let's shift it over here because I want to talk about a dynamic church, one that is changing, one that God is changing. Here's what I mean by this. The first one is we have a working faith. We have a faith that works. It does things. It's visible. You ought to be able to see it. So after all this has taken root, after the service begins to happen, look at what happens to the Thessalonians' faith. So we kind of got the base there. They've been changed by Christ. Step up. How does that change show up? Here it is, verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Your work of faith. Meaning that in their faith, it produces work. It produces evidence in our life. And it, we'll get to this in a minute when we eight and nine again. But eight and nine, this work they're doing is people hear about it. It's such a significant and uh, meaningful work. People are hearing about what the Thessalonians are doing. And so these Christians are working out their faith. They are doing things even in the midst of whatever they face, whether it's persecution or whatever's around the corner. The Lord is using them where they're at. In other words, the working of your faith doesn't matter so much about where you are. It matters what you're doing. I've thought this for a while looking at the scriptures. If you look at the Bible, God doesn't care near as much about the job you have or the school you go to or the place you live. He cares more about how faithful you are to serve him in the job you have, the school you go to, or the place that you live. He cares about how you live more than where or what you're doing. He, he cares about your life. Years ago, I was reading uh, Oswald Chambers. It's a, a great a devotion, my utmost for his highest. And in one particular day, he had this phrase that's always stuck with me, and i like to read it to you today. He's talking about prayer, but in essence, I think we get wrapped up in thinking, man, I, I could really be used by God if I could just be there. If I could just go over and do this, that's when I'll really be used by God. Here's what he says. Prayer is the battle. And he says, it makes no difference where you are. He says, however God may engineer your circumstances, your duty is to pray. He said, never allow yourself this thought. I am, no, I am of no use where I am. That may be your temptation today, particularly as we're locked up. You think, I am of no use where I am. He says, because, our, because you certainly cannot be used where you have not yet been placed. In other words, you get it, just because you're not there, you can't be used anywhere else but where you're at. He says, so wherever God has placed you, in whatever your circumstances, you should pray, continually offering up your prayers to him. Here's what I mean, is that allow your faith to work itself out where you are at and quit thinking, hey, I need to get over there to be used. And I don't know where your journey is and how the Lord's using you or where you're at today, but just be encouraged that God has placed you exactly where you're at to be used by him. So your question shouldn't be is, Hey, God, I, how can I get over there so I can be used? Your question should be, God, what is it you have for me today in my place, in my spot in your kingdom that I am called to do, and how can I be faithful in that? 
Because in that moment is when you are laboring with your faith. You are working out your faith. And all that comes from, here's the second one, it comes from a laboring love. A laboring love. You see, a genuine faith has a labor of love. Many of you are familiar with that phrase. Look at it there in verse 3 again. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Many people use that phrase to describe a hobby. It is my labor of love, right? You enjoy doing it, and so there's a sense at which, even with this word labor here, it's, it's hard work. You're exhausted. It may be tiring, but because you love to do it, it's easy for you. It comes natural, is out of love you begin to do this work. Jesus will talk about out of love what we'll do. Says John 13, he'll say, if you love others, people will then know you're truly my disciples. That's the labor of love of Christians. We love other people. We're people of love because we have been loved. And we enjoy expending ourselves for kingdom work. And so you should find yourself, if you're a Christian today, happily, joyfully doing the work of the Lord, even to the point you're tired. It ought to make you tired and yet joyful. Many of you have testimony of this in your life, how you expend your life for the kingdom and for the work, and you love it. That's the mark of a Christian. It is a labor of love. It is a faith that is working itself out. You can see it in a person's life that their life is marked by love for others. Here's the third one, an enduring hope. Look at it there, all found in verse 3. It says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and, look at the phrase, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the hope is found in Jesus. And so when the hope is placed there, then it's always... To be found. In other words, if you place your hope in a lot of other things, there'll be a point your hope will fail you. But because Jesus is always there, the hope of what is to come, if we place our hope in Him, never fails, and so therefore we always have hope, and therefore we can always persevere. I can do hard things if there's hope at the end. I don't know about you, if you're doing a workout or a long run, and it starts to get real difficult, I start calculating the end. I start thinking about when this thing's gonna wrap up. Or maybe you're on a project at work and things are becoming difficult and frustrating, you start thinking about when's the deadline, when's this thing gonna wrap up. No matter what you face, when something hard comes, you put hope at the end of it and that hope will cause you to, to persevere, to be steadfast through it. And so you Christian today, Put some hope of Jesus in your life, and what that will do is that will create perseverance so that you'll have a labor of love and faith that just shows up. It just works itself out so that people can observe your enduring, faithful labor for the Lord. That's, that's what should show up in the Christian life. So when people see that you believe the gospel and now you are expending your life for the kingdom, people can start to look on and say, that person's chosen. That person's marked by the Spirit of God. And when that kind of stuff happens, it ripples out in effect around you. People hear about it. People talk about the marked change in the life 
of a Christian. That brings me to the third point here is that we have a contagious church, one in which people talk about. True Christians have this sense of impacting the world that's around them. Notice how this group is sharing the gospel and living it out. Look at verse 8 with me. For not only the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith is gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So we'll kind of break it down a couple ways. First of all, that the, their faith and what they lived out, it's gone forth everywhere. People are talking about it and hearing about the radical change in the life of these Thessalonian believers. And because their life is being expended for the gospel, it is an example and encouragement. People are looking at it and say, that's what kind of person you should be like. It is being talked about, whether it's a matter of the fact that they're sharing the gospel there in town or whether they are either talking about them or possibly even they are traveling to share the gospel. However it might be, this working faith is, has a reputation among people. People talk, talk about what they're doing. But I just want to press on another phrase there. Notice the last phrase. It says, you've done all that so that, verse 8, so that we need not say anything. Now think about that for a minute with me. In other words, your faith has been so clear. It, there's a clear gospel witness. There's a clear witness to the genuine nature of who you are that Paul says, I don't have anything left to say. It is clear who you are, what you believe, and what gospel you believe in. In other words, whoever I would go around and talk to about you, I don't have to follow up again and fill in any holes. Your life is so markedly different, you can, you can live it out so people can watch. So if that's the case, let's flip it over and ask the convicting question. How do the people around you see you? And could the statement be made about you? I don't even have to tell anybody anything else because your testimony is so strong, is so clear, that everybody knows you are a follower of Christ and you expend your life for Him. Is that what people would say about you? That your life is spent for the gospel? I mean, what an encouragement here from Thessalonians. If that's true, if you look around and you say, I don't know what else I could say to anybody I'm around. Well, well praise the Lord. Be encouraged by the marked impact the gospel's had on your life and is having to people around you. If you can think of an area or a place you need to be stronger in your witness, maybe, maybe that's where you need to think, who do I need to be sharing the gospel with? How do I need to speak more clearly about my faith? How do I speak more about the hope I have in Christ? That leads me to the last one here, is that we are contagious in our passion. People are talking about this kind of passion. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Their faith was so radical, people couldn't help but notice it. Notice it. So, I mean, 
It was noticeable, not ignorable. It was something people saw and talked about and heard about because of such a distinct change in the life of a Christian. We started with this idea of this radical change that had to happen and this radical change that everybody hears about. And that's the way your life should be as a Christian. We should be marked by how the Spirit has changed us and people around us hear about what's happened in our lives. So when you come to faith in Christ, it ought to be this radical change. So for you, Christian, is there somebody right now? Is there, is there a way you need to speak up more clearly about the faith that you have? Is there a way you need to be, right now you've settled in and say, I'm locked in my house. There's, I'm just waiting until I get out. And only when I get out can I then serve the Lord. Maybe there are ways right now you need to say, I can be faithful right now today with where God has placed me so that I might be a faithful witness so that the gospel goes out wherever I might be so there's not a single hole around me where nobody can say, hey, you know what, i got to go back behind him and give the gospel because it wasn't clear because your life was a complete witness like these faithful believers were. May the Lord bless you even in this time when we're locked up to be faithful gospel witnesses for him. Let me pray for you and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this great and radical change that's given by the Holy Spirit and by your power. Lord, empower us to live as gospel witnesses for you so that we might be faithful in this world and Lord, you might use us for your kingdom no matter where you've placed us, at home or wherever we may be, we know you can use us for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.